I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 17. I'm going to cut it down a little bit. We're going to read the first 22 verses today, and then we're going to uh, revisit it next week as well. So if you're sitting there thinking, why didn't he deal with that? Well, give me another week, and, and we will. Between uh, verses, uh, between chapter 16 and chapter 17, there's a 13-year gap. So just think about that. 13 years between uh, the whole Hagar and Ishmael debacle of chapter 16, and then here, 13 years later, God appears to Abram again. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations." I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me, you, and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abram, Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to him, said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and will make him fruitful, and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. May God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word and write its truth upon our hearts this morning.
Well, we've been talking a bit and singing a bit about rest this morning. Are, are you weary and tired in your heart, in your soul? Wouldn't you like to have some rest? That's what the Lord promises for us. I'm sure as we live our lives that we have had opportunity to make some grave mistakes. I've done it. You've probably done it. And you have now been maybe living for a long time with the consequences of those mistakes. And maybe you even feel a sense of shame uh, for what has happened in the past. And maybe you even feel like your life uh, is ruined because of some of the decisions that you've made in the past. Well, this passage that we have before us today is a passage that would encourage anybody who feels that way this morning, and I know it encourages my heart as well. Well, in chapter 15, we saw that God appeared to Abram and confirmed the covenant relationship between himself and Abram. And what a mountaintop experience that would have been for Abram, to have God of the universe binding himself to Abram uh, in a personal and legal relationship that we talked about a few moments ago. Uh, God uh, coming into uh, to, to Abram in a vision, walking between those sacrificed pieces of animals, binding himself to the relationship, saying, even if... Uh, even if you break these, this covenant, even in, in, if I break this covenant, may, may I be torn to pieces like these animals. What an experience that would have been for Abram, this making of a covenant relationship between himself and God. Well, in chapter 16, uh, we see Abram really make a mess of things. Instead of waiting for God to fulfill the promises that God has made to, to Abram, uh, they, Abram and Sarai, they instead try to do God's work for him. We talked about that last week. They, they go about trying to fulfill God's promises of a child in a sinful manner. They run ahead of God. They try to, to make God's promises come true through their own power and their own clever uh, uh, ways of, of making it happen. They use a slave, a servant, maidservant, Hagar, to have a surrogate child. The residual devastation of their actions reverberates even beyond their lifespans. We might even say into our lifespans. And some of the Middle East tensions that we have now were born right there in chapter 16. Sin has consequences. And sometimes those consequences affect people through the generations that follow you. And maybe you've even seen that in your own lives. Well, the buck stops with Abram. We can't just take, uh, give the blame to Sarai. But Abram, he's the head of the family, and he has royally messed things up in his life. How many times have you decided to do things your own way without waiting on God, without trusting in His promises to be fulfilled in God's time, and, and now maybe you're still suffering the consequences. And maybe, like we said before, even today, you're beating yourself up about these mistakes and lapses in faith. And you think about, oh, what would have been, what might have been if, uh, if I had just done the right thing and not the wrong thing. 
And now you live with an overwhelming sense that you are forced to settle for less as a result. And you might wonder, has God written me off? Well, did God write Abram off? That wonderful, beautiful, most comforting answer is a resounding no. God did not write Abram off, and he doesn't write us off either, thankfully. So 13 years after Genesis 16, God appears to Abram again. You can look at verse 1 of chapter 17. Uh, The Lord appears to Abram. He's 99 years old and says to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. Now, when it comes to verse 2, I personally do not agree with how uh, verse 2 is translated here in the English Standard Version. I, I understand why they translated it the way, and it is a legitimate translation that they have given, but I would rather side with the translators of the King James, the New International Version, uh, the New American Standard Version. They all basically translate it the same. Um, there are several reasons why that. But I mention this uh, because I don't agree with the ESV, but I've got backup. I've got these other translations that give me confidence. I'm not a Hebrew scholar, and the men, of course, who translated made these translations are Hebrew scholars, but there are Hebrew scholars out there who agree with me, so I feel my opinion is being backed up by more than one credible source, which is important. Well, when you, when you read the ESV here and what it says in verse 1 and 2, uh, it makes it sound like the covenant is based on the conditions of Abram's uh, walking before God and being blameless. You see it says, Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. Now, the word that there, the, the word that at the beginning of verse 2, it is not the way the Hebrew word is usually translated. More, it can be translated that or so, but usually it's translated and. And uh, also the ESV uses the word may, that I may make my covenant. Uh, the other translations that I mentioned translate those verbs The usual way you translate something that is in the imperfect tense, which these verbs are. In Hebrew, the imperfect signifies uh, an incomplete action. The action is imperfect. It's not complete yet. So this is something that has not happened yet. So usually you would translate it uh, with a future, in English, a future tense. I will, I will make my covenant with you. Instead of that, I may make my covenant with you. And then also... The mood of the verb is telling. Now, the mood of a verb is, uh, tells you what, what the, what's actually going on in the sentence. So, you, you, if you remember English, some sentences are in the indicative mood. That means they are uh, making a statement, just stating a fact. Johnny went to school. That's in the indicative mood. The interrogative mood uh, is a question. Did Johnny go to school? Uh, we have an imperative mode in English. Johnny, go to school. It's a command. This sentence and the verb is in a, a mood that's not in English. It's called the cohortative mood. And it, it, it is when uh, someone expresses an intent or desire or a 
purpose. So what God is doing here is telling Abram, I shall make my covenant with you. He's not saying, if you are really good, if you're blameless and you walk before me, then I will make my covenant with you. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, I am God Almighty, and by virtue of being God Almighty, you should walk before me and be blameless. And as God Almighty, I am making a covenant with you. And that, that word making is interesting as well, because it's not the usual word that you use, that the Hebrew uses for making a covenant. When, when uh, the word, when there's the, in, the expression, I make a covenant, the Hebrew word is literally cut. I cut a covenant. And that refers to that ceremony that we saw in Genesis 15 where he cut the animals in half and the God and usually people pass through the pieces and they make oaths and vows to one another. So the word cut a covenant, the word cut is not here. It's actually the word forgive, uh, the word Natan, which is, we get our uh, English name Nathan from that word. So Nathan means gift. If your name is Nathan, you're a gift. And if your name is Nathaniel, you are a gift from God. That's what it means in the Hebrew. So God is saying, I am going to give my covenant to you. I'm going to establish it, I think the New American Standard says. And that's what God is saying here. I've made promises to you in the past, Abram. You've run ahead of me and you've made a mess of things. But here I am coming back to you. And I am still going. I'm still going to, pr- to bring these promises to their fulfillment. I am going to, uh, once again, establish and confirm to you that the promises have not been thrown aside by your unfaithfulness, but I'm going to do that. It's, it's, it's showing God's intent, and it's showing God is freely giving this to Abram. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. That's, a, that's really interesting in the Hebrew because it literally says, I will multiply you very, very. And anytime, you know, we, when we want to make a superlative, we usually put EST on the end of a word. He's the fastest. That means nobody's faster than he is. Well, when you do that in Hebrew, you don't add anything to the end. You just repeat the same word twice. So God says, I'm going to multiply you very, very. And so exceedingly, I will multiply you exceedingly, greatly. That's what God is saying to Abram. In spite of all the, the mess he's made of things. And he goes on in verse 4. Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations, And he changes his name to Abram because I'll make you a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, he says in verse 6. This covenant I'm making in verse 7, he says, is an everlasting covenant. The land that you get is an everlasting possession. Before in chapter 12, when God initially appeared to Abram, uh, he only promised him that he would make Abram into a great nation. He said, I'm going to bless you. I'll make you into a great nation and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. But here, even after the debacle of chapter 16, God says, you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. 
Not just one nation, but nations and kings are going to come from you. And you're not just Abram, which means exalted father. You are Abraham, the father of many nations. You know, all this Hebrew, you know, I'm not a Hebrew scholar and I'm not just trying to show off, but I, I just want to, I'm sharing that with you to reiterate the fact that God did not write Abram off. And God is not making Abram settle for something less. In fact, God appears to him with even greater grace. Notice the words he uses, exceedingly, everlasting, a multitude. The Bible doesn't tell us, but we can imagine the tension in the house of Abram between Sarai and Hagar as Ishmael grew up. Of course, Abram loves Ishmael. Uh, you know, that just couldn't have been a very healthy home life, a very good situation to be in. And we'll see that, that jealousy come again, rear its ugly head in a couple of chapters when Sarah throws Hagar and Ishmael out. So it couldn't have been easy over these 13 years to live with the consequences of his sin. But now God appears to him and says... I'm going to make it even greater than before. I, I, yes, I'm going to establish this covenant. I am reaffirming it to you in spite of your unfaithfulness. So when the Lord appears to Abram here in chapter 17, what does Abram do? You know, he is he's broken, he's messed up, and God comes to him and says, I'm going to shower you with grace. And Abram falls on his face before the Lord Twice. Twice. He's ready. He's ready to receive some grace. He's ready to humbly hear and do whatever the Lord says. And then the second time he falls on his face, he laughs. Because what God is promising is beyond belief. He can't even imagine it. It's so wonderful. It's too good to be true. Look at verse 15. You know, it says there, God said to Abraham... As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and I will give you a son by her. Then verse 17, Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, he's falling on his face and he's thinking, did I hear that right? Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall a Sarah, who is barren, who is 90 herself, did I hear that right? Is God serious? And that's what he's thinking in his head. It's not what he says. But it's like, is this true? And so he says, in verse 18, God, that oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Surely, God, you meant Ishmael, right? We're not talking about Sarah. We're talking about Ishmael being promised. And God says, no. Sarah, yes, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, and you're going to call his name Isaac. And he is the one with whom I'm going to establish the covenant. And then you see, God says, yeah, Ishmael, I'm going to bless him too. But then again, he says it twice. Sarah, she's the one that's going to have the child and I'm going to establish my covenant with him, not Ishmael. Isn't that wonderful? 
Abram has gotten his life off track. He's messed up. He's lost faith and tried to do it all himself and made a mess of things. And then God still comes to him with love and mercy and grace. And Abram falls on his face to the Lord. He's ready to receive that. Well, have you blown it? Have you made mistakes in your life which have been devastating to you? Are the consequences of your past actions hanging around your neck like a ball and chain? And do you live in shame before God? This passage teaches us that God's promises are not destroyed by human failures. Let's make it more personal. God's promises to you are not destroyed by your failures. Our God is a God of grace. And just like Abraham, God still pursues a relationship with you. One that is by grace. I mean, God pursued it to the point of taking on human flesh himself and coming to earth and fulfilling the law in your, in your stead and laying down his life on the cross to die for your sins. That's how committed to a relationship with you he is. John tells us about it in chapter 1. I put it in the outline. The Word became flesh, that's Jesus, and dwelt among us. And what did we see? We saw His glory. Glory as as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ came to earth and He showed God to us because He is God. And what did we see? We saw that He is full of of grace and truth. Verse 16. For from His fullness we have all received a grace upon grace. I love that phrase, grace upon grace. Some translations translate it grace for grace. In other words, uh, He gives you grace and then He replaces that grace with more grace. He's just piling grace on. That's what he did for Abram. Promised him in chapter 12. Called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. In chapter 15, he he makes the covenant with Abram. Or confirms it with Abram. And then here, after he's blown it in chapter 17, he reiterates the promises again. He keeps coming at Abram with grace. Are you weary? Wounded? Broken? Is your life a mess? God is coming to you with grace. Our call to worship. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Have you come to that place where you are ready to fall on your face in surrender to God like Abram did? Do you realize that on your own, you have and will only make a mess of your life? And if so, you're in a great position to enjoy a relationship with God, to receive uh, His grace. God wants to have a fabulous relationship with you, but it is on His terms, and that needs to be clear. He's offering us a particular kind of relationship. You know, we, we would like to have God 
uh, be a big Santa Claus in the sky. You know, we can just call on him when we want him and get him to do whatever we want. Uh, and, and in essence, what we're doing is we're playing God. We're dictating to God what, how we want him to be. But that's not the kind of relationship that God offers. He offers a covenant relationship. And he dictates the terms of that. He's the king. The quote uh, that is on the front of your bulletin and in the outline from Ian Dugan. When the great king comes and offers to establish a covenant with you, you really have only two choices. You can accept the covenant relationship on his terms and receive its benefits, or you can refuse it and face the consequences. Many people approach religion as if they were interviewing God for a job, the position of personal deity in my life. I want to find a philosophy that works for me, they say. But if God is really who he claims to be, almighty God, then, then that is what he is, whether the idea works for you or not. You can interview idols and ideologies, but the God who created the universe offers you only two choices. Surrender on his terms or face the consequences. Well, that sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it? But really, God just really, he, he just wants you to get out of his way. And when we try to play God, we're in his way. He wants to bless us, like he said to Abram. I want to make you uh, uh, into many nations and kings come from you and your wife have a child and I want to have a, a relationship with you. Get out of the way. Fall on your face. Let me do it. It's the same thing that Jesus said in Matthew 11. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Listen to me. You know, he told Abram, walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me. And that's the same thing Jesus is saying there. If you walk, that literally in the Hebrew, walk before, walk before my face. This is how, it's, how the expression is, the euphemism is. Walk before, and we, we, maybe you've heard the Latin phrase, corum Deo. We live corum Deo, before the face of God. We're living under the gaze of God to walk as if God is looking every moment, which he is. And that the word can also be translated mouth, not just face, but mouth. To live in reference to God's gaze and to God's word, his face. We're, we're looking to him. We're living in light of, of who he is and, and what he's promised to us. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, you know, a yoke would be on oxen. And so that the farmer could plow with them and he could make the oxen go where he wanted them to go. So when you, when you take, take Jesus' yoke upon you, you're saying, I'm submitting to his, his rule in my life. I, I am putting... But the thing is, it's not a burden, it's not a heavy yoke. It's a light one, Jesus says. Learn from me. Learn from me. So you can find rest. It's not work like the oxen are doing. It's rest. Because I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So those are the terms. To, to come to the Lord, to fall on his, your face, and let him call the shots. And, and to live before his face, under his yoke, and that's the only way you'll find rest from your, for your souls. 
Rest from the burdens that you bear. Rest from all the mistakes that you've made. And grace to cover up all the mistakes and, and, and the consequences of your past sins. The Lord wants to give you rest, and I pray that we would all come to enjoy that rest today. Let's pray together.